Hey, it's Bill Simmons. We're not just reacting to the NBA playoffs on my podcast. We're also doing it on the Ringer NBA show and the Mismatch podcast. They are coming after some of these NBA playoff games. Check it out Monday, Wednesday, and Friday nights on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode of the Ringer F1 show is brought to you by eBay Motors. With over 122 million parts from superchargers and brakes to exhaust kits and beyond, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Armorall. When you want the best for your car, preparation is everything. That's why teams like Oracle Red Bull Racing use Armorall to prep their team vehicles. From interior cleaning and protectant wipes to car wash and wheel and tire cleaner, Armorall, America's number one trusted auto appearance brand, has what it takes to keep the two-time defending champions looking their best inside and out. And get this, now through May 31st, you can get $5 back when you spend $20 prepping your car like the Oracle Red Bull Racing Team. All you have to do is upload your receipt to Armorall's website after you buy. Visit armorall.com for program details and redemption. Terms apply. Armorall chosen by champions. It is the Ringer F1 show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark. Put together a panel today to answer the biggest questions for the rest of the F1 season. Drew Lawrence from The Guardian joins me. So does tech enthusiast Bryson Sullivan. We cover pretty much all of the big picture topics title fight, Mercedes and their run of form over the past week, um, what to expect going forward as the summer heats up, a little spending cap talk. Uh, we get to a lot. All right, here we go. Joined now by Drew Lawrence. He's a feature writer for The Guardian. He's the host of a podcast for Red Bulletin called Ready for the Big Time, and Bryson Sullivan a tech expert, PhD student, uh, not, uh, he, he said that he does not want to be a tech expert. We're branding him a tech expert. He says he's a tech enthusiast. Bryson, you're our tech expert today. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Uh, Drew, what's going on, bud? You're in a closet. I'm in a closet. This is, this is where, uh, this is where you make the donuts when you have uh, two kids under two, uh, you know, just, Bumbling around, just, just getting in increasingly to, uh, confined, increasingly uh, <laughs> yeah. confined spaces. Next year, when they're, <laughs> yeah. when they're above three, I mean, I Lord knows where you'll be recording from. I'll be in like the pantry or something. Yep. It'll be even, yep. uh, I'll <laughs> be have, in a kitchen drawer. <laughs> we have a lot to look forward to the next time you join us. So, we're going to go through <laughs> the biggest questions for the rest of the season. Obviously, European summer basically started last week. Monaco is a different animal. Um, we're going to get to to what that's going to look like. And especially with these new cars, there's, there's, there's sort of a lot to, to diagnose there. Um, but we know what European summer looks like in F1. It means upgrades. Uh, it means a lot of the tracks that there's a lot of data on on the old cars. And we know, hey, th- these teams have done well here before and all that stuff. Um, it's the crown jewels of the sport. That that's Spa, that's Silverstone, it's Monaco, obviously Spain. Um, it's the it's the places we've seen before. So we wanted to kind of do a reset and go through some of the questions that are the biggest ones. Some are big, some are small. We'll start with a big one. Who is, in your opinion, 
the title favorite for the Drivers' Championship. Let's go through the Vegas odds. Verstappen, minus 150. He is the favorite after Spain. Leclerc, plus 150. Russell, plus 1,600. Hamilton, plus 2,500. We're obviously getting into things that won't happen. Sergio Perez, plus 6,600. Carlos Sainz, plus 10,000. It is not good to have the same car as a guy who has a plus 150 odds uh, and you have plus 10,000. That, that, that's a... That, well, that's, yeah, that, that's a different discussion. Um, Bryson, we'll start with you. When looking at this, you think what for the rest of the season? Uh, I do think Verstappen is a title favorite right now. Um, and it's not just the car that he has and, and you know his innate abilities that I, I have some issues with his wheel-to-wheel antics in the past and <laughs> well-documented. Um, but as a driver, there's really no questioning his talent. I, I think the deciding factor is being taken to the limit and beyond uh, through a title fight with Sir Lewis yeah. Hamilton, seven-time world champion, uh, whether it, it ended in a way that made sense or not, that's going to make you find things in yourself and it will give you sure. experience that will help you in future title fights. So for my position, I think Verstappen has what it takes to win. Leclerc may win. And given the progress that Mercedes has made recently, if they have even a remotely competitive car, Lewis and George will both be in there. But right now I'm going to say Verstappen. Drew? I'm also going to say Max. To me, he has everything. He's got the car. He's got uh, a principal who... <laughs> Who uh, advocated for him uh, in his uh, in his most dire moments? Yeah, championship. Uh, he's got uh, the best pick crew in the business for like the last decade easily. <laughs> that not only doesn't make mistakes, but consistently turns around the fastest service numbers and uh, and an organization that I trust to continue developing the car more than Ferrari. And even though it, he's been sort of like legit feast or famine this year, he's still. He's still my he's still my pick to win going the distance. So I'm going to go a little bit off off the grid here. I'm going to go <laughs> with, with Leclerc. I I actually think that I'm there are so many things we don't know about the rest of this season. Um, we're going to get to the spending cap on another question. Uh, I don't know what that looks like. You know, there were you know Ferrari basically said, how can Red Bull keep having these weekly upgrades with the spending cap? Maybe 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 they're going to spend too much and and go over it. I don't know what that looks like. Christian Horner says that seven teams might skip races if they don't if they don't raise the ceiling on it. Kind of classic Christian Horner politicking. Um, but I, I think that there are so many unknowns, and I think that Ferrari will figure out the reliability problems in the same way Red Bull did. I mean, this is this is uncharted waters for so many folks with the biggest regulation changes over the last 40 years. Ferrari, as long as they they have a working power unit, is going to win on Sunday in Monaco. Leclerc will be leading going into the heartbeat of the schedule. And I think that this comes down to upgrades. Um, Bryson, you you were covering a lot of the upgrades over the past couple of weeks. What in the next couple of months are you expecting from some of these teams? And and who would you think is going to win the upgrade war uh, maybe in the next two months? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that Red Bull as a team has been extraordinarily good at over the last, you know, 10 years or longer is upgrading their car over the course of the season. They haven't always started with the fastest car each year in the hybrid era, but they've been able to develop it significantly over the course of the year. So that's something that Ferrari is going to have to deal with. Mercedes is kind of used to that. Uh, I also suspect they're going to be bringing some big upgrades. But more importantly, the Mercedes concept is so different to any other uh, concept you see on the grid, not only from an aerodynamic perspective, but the way the radiators are placed uh, to be able to actually have side pods that small, uh, it actually can't be copied <laughs> by other teams. 
it'll require redesigning the monocoque. So if Mercedes is actually able to develop their car and find ways to make it faster, it actually might develop solutions that other teams can't replicate. That's actually more advantageous than simply having a design that's good, but can be copied by another team, you know, a la Aston Martin. So I would expect Mercedes to be uh, very dangerous uh, in the races going forward. We have uh, objective evidence that their porpoising problem is actually well in hand. Uh, we had some accelerometer data showing that their porpoising was the lowest on the grid in Spain. So that's who I've been uh, looking out for most. And Red Bull has been bringing updates to every race. Uh, we'll see how this cost cap figures in. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's, listen, there's so much disappointment for Ferrari last week. First of all, you have the fact that Mercedes is now in the title fight and is going to, make, going to be kind of a kingmaker in the sense that I do believe they will win races. I do believe they will take podiums from in the Constructors' Championship, those two, the top two teams. And so now you just have an extra element. And then you, you see the fact they get those upgrades and it should have been a Ferrari weekend and it just wasn't. I think psychically, the fact that Leclerc, and I talked about this on the Sunday pod with Megan Schuster, the fact that Leclerc, with such a disastrous Sunday, was able to, you know, I'll be the body language doctor, you know, hug everybody, you know, kind of take the bounce, uh, roll with the punches, say, look at the positives. Um, I think that was probably the right posture to take, but it was a disaster. Um, and I think that still, still, I do think that Ferrari will have the best car over the course of the season. Um, so I just, I don't know. I mean, this is, it's going to be, and I also think, by the way, Bryson, you talked about going against Lewis Hamilton. I wanted to ask you, Drew, um, with Max, when do, if ever, when do the fireworks start with Leclerc? Um, is it when it's, you know, is it halfway through the season and is it never going to happen because they were, they've been friends for 20 years? Like, how does this develop between those two drivers at the front? I think it happens in the last two thirds of the season as, as, as the champ, if it becomes like last year where it's a, a nip tuck and, you know, they're, they're, you know, within, within 10 points and, you know, scrapping to, to get fastest laps and things like that. Uh, I think that, you know, cause like, I want to say the Hamilton Verstappen rivalry started off, you know, very respectfully yes. as well. Yes. And then got, got hot very, very fast. Um, but I think that because they're he and uh, Charles are, are contemporaries, that he will get a little bit more grace. But eventually, eventually the claws will come out. Yeah, everyone, everyone, like the narrative of the first month of the season was, well, Max is driving differently now that he's going against Charles. He was obviously there was competitive juices this time last year, but it didn't get hot until the summer. So it, it, let's let's not you can't really that's apples and oranges at this point. Um, so I'm intrigued to see how this develops. Everyone's saying, well, you know, he's not as aggressive because he's won a world championship. He's not pushing the limit. Max will push the limit. I can <laughs> promise you. Max Verstappen will push the limit at some point. All right. Next question. Over under Ferrari retirements, technical retirements for the rest of the season, 1.5. Bryson. Uh, over, really. I, I think the only team that has really demonstrated the kind of liability uh, that you could possibly get to avoid even 1.5 more retirements in the season has been Mercedes. They've used fewer power unit elements than any other team. As far as the technical aspects go, it's not just a question of engines or cooling. Sometimes you have suspension problems. Sometimes you have issues from porpoising. <laughs> you know, you know, as, as much yeah. as people would like to say that porpoising is, is an issue for drivers, and it certainly is, it has mechanical implications as well. 
And if the car is bouncing off the ground at, you know, 1G maximum, uh, it can have mechanical implications. So I think it definitely is likely, not just a Ferrari, but several other teams will very likely have more than 1.5 retirements the rest of the season. I agree. And this is going to be a battle of attrition. And there's probably going to be a lot of races where kind of like what we saw on Sunday, where there's a clear quickest car and they don't end up winning the race because of that reliability. Drew? I'm also over because uh, now that uh, Sergio Perez has firmly established himself as a strong teammate next to Max, Carlos Sainz sort of takes over as the second driver on the hottest seat uh, with his <laughs> performances. So with that and and I guess the, you know the, the fuel mixture stuff. I don't know if they're uh, if Ferrari seems to be Ferrari and Red Bull in particular seem to be having some, some struggles with that. I have to I have to go go over with them. I'm going to go over too. So here's the update. So according to Ferrari, Leclerc's turbo and MGUH have been damaged and cannot be repaired. It is beyond repair. However, and this was kind of a strange second part of the statement. They're satisfied it didn't occur through a design fault or reliability issue with these two components or any other elements of the power unit. So they're saying that the, the engine was damaged beyond repair, but there's nothing wrong with the engine, Bryson? <laughs> there's, there's two ways to think about this. Their, their word choice is very precise. You could either say the issue was due to a material defect, potentially, in the way the part was designed. Sure. It's not the design itself. It's at fault, but potentially the way it was manufactured. Or you could say that there was perhaps a finger trouble or some sort of issue when it was assembled that caused a problem. That's one possibility. The other thing is, even if it was the case that there was a problem, you wouldn't expect Bernardo to say, yes, it was definitely a design fault, and yeah. we're going to have trouble It's going to happen weekly. <laughs> yeah, you can just pencil <laughs> us would, in. Uh, you can that, pencil that us be, in for uh, retirement per week. That, that would seem like a suboptimal strategy for personal and uh, public relations. But but no, I, I think that this is actually not even a surprise. Honestly, you know, Ferrari has been really bulletproof uh, for so long. Yeah. This is really the first hint that I've seen of genuine mechanical issues. The difference is their car retired. Mercedes car had to lift and coast aggressively, but they yes. finished. That, that matters in the end. Yeah. It certainly does. Ferrari would have loved to have lifted and coasted over the past over the last 10 laps of, the, of that race. I'm intrigued to see, Drew, how the Ferrari team dynamic changes because I think that the team orders thing last week changed the paradigm of the whole thing because it was funny. I was listening to some of the podcasts that I'd missed when I was on vacation for two weeks and I listened to Julian Palmer on a Spain preview episode. And he said, you know, it's way too early for team orders. He literally said, just like as an aside, he was like, way too early for team orders. Nope, it's not too early for team orders. We saw that. Red Bull has decided that, that Max is going to win every race that he can. Um, and Checo can't unless something crazy happens. But that means that Ferrari has to change their attitude. Because if, they, if Red Bull starts with team orders, Ferrari starts with team orders. And obviously, as we discussed earlier, I don't think Sainz is going to be leaving a race to the point that... Um, that 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 you know he's got to get out of the way. I don't think he's he's a good enough driver for that at this point. But Ferrari does have to go all in on Leclerc because of this, and I wonder how that this, this dynamic goes for the rest of the season as Signs gets further and further and further behind. I was just going to say briefly. I I do yeah. find this quite interesting. I I would agree with Julian. It, it is actually way too early for for team orders. <laughs> yeah. There, there's no question that Max is the the number one driver at Red Bull, but I think. There's a difference between being uh, for someone else to be a number two driver 
by you know de facto versus being yeah. a number two driver by de jure. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, Sergio seems to be in that latter category for whatever reason. And I think there is a discussion to be had about the way that situation was handled. It, it simply shouldn't be the case that in a race where your number one title rival retires, you feel the need to disallow someone to have an advantage that was naturally playing out for them having a functioning DRS and not spinning in turn four. Those are things that <laughs> benefited Sergio Perez, where yep. ultimately they were, he was told to just move aside. So I, I hope Red Bull reconsiders that position. But if they don't, I, I agree with you. Ferrari may need to be a little bit more aggressive with their strategies. I can't. I, I went on a rant about this on Sunday, but it is. it must be so demoralizing for your bosses to say, you literally cannot win a race unless everything else goes haywire and Max isn't even in the race. Like that to me... I just I couldn't even imagine that. Even if you're Checo making tons of money, so, I mean, I mean, Drew, you were in the paddock for Miami, and and Bryson, you were elsewhere there. Um, but like Checo is a huge star now, um, and you know, there's Red Bull fans who love seeing him. Obviously, in Mexico, he was already massive, but there's a um, there's a bump he's gotten over the past let's say 18 months that I understand. I'm sure he loves it, but from a competitive aspect. Not knowing, knowing you cannot win a race and there's a ceiling on you must be so demoralizing. Drew, how does this work for Ferrari for the next couple months? Um, oh, so I, w- I want to stick with Red Bull because that's such an interesting oh, yeah, sure. point because, because I feel like this, ch- this second seat has been a career eater ever since Max has been in the first seat between yeah. Albon and Gasly and Ricardo. And like finally, they have a guy who is not only protecting the number one guy, but who can actually outright win races for the organization. He totally managed his race well in Barcelona and he gets penalized for it. And I, I, I'm right. with you, Bryson, like Christian totally mismanaged that situation uh, when, you know, it, it still favored him and there are plenty of races left for, for, for Max to, to catch up. So uh, what's funny about Ferrari is like the, uh, the conversation going into the season was about, them potentially having equal talent and Charles right. now is like so far away from Carlos that, uh, you know, he's basically now in the, in the Botas role of like, right. you know, you, you either get a podium or you get out of the way. So, uh, right. yeah, I think they're going to be super aggressive with that, especially with, uh, with, uh, Charles's reliability issues, uh, you know, just not wanting to, not wanting to take any chances with the two of these, with these two cars getting close together. Just to, we didn't. just to be clear, yeah. uh, Valtteri Bottas uh, beat Lewis Hamilton in races that Lewis finished. Red Bull has not demonstrated that capacity yet. Uh, but it certainly is not the case that Valtteri Bottas was not allowed to win races. He definitely did, and he uh, he was allowed to. No question. Yeah, I, that's... I mean, listen... We he from... might have a different view on that. I'm just... Uh, I guess I, I, I miss... I miss... I'm... I'm, I'm uh, Cast myself uh, as his representative, uh, unbeknownst <laughs> to him. Uh. Either he won the races justice. or he didn't. But yeah, ju- ju- justice for Botas. Um, all right, how <laughs> many races? How many races, if any, will Mercedes win in total this season, Bryson? Uh, I was going to say one uh, prior to Spain. I'm starting to think it could actually be three or more. Mm. I think, first of all, uh, you know, Lewis is one of his favorite tracks 
in the world is Canada. You know, in Montreal, he got his first victory there in 2007. It's attracted he's just dominated for many years. It's actually been off the calendar for several years. We haven't had an opportunity to actually see him drive there. I suspect he will actually get his first win there. But but more importantly, if you look at the lap one incident between Magnuson and Hamilton, not only that, did that potentially give Lewis a bit of damage to his car in addition to uh, the, the puncture that he had, but it took him out of the race in the sense of seeing what he could actually do head to head with the rest of the field. If you look at his pace and you look at the laps that he was putting in, especially on the medium tire in that middle stint, he was effectively doing a two-stop and was competing with everyone else on the track. I mean, in different conditions, he actually probably could have gotten second place in that race, at least. Yeah. Those what Muscle might have done under pressure. So I, I think that Mercedes has definitely taken a step in the right direction. And as I mentioned previously, it's not a subjective step. It's an objective step. There's yep. data that you can actually look at to prove that they had a step forward in terms of their porpoising. I think that there will be several tracks on the season that they'll actually be quite good at. And I would start looking at Canada, but even Monaco might be something to, to consider. We know Red Bull has a phenomenal top speed advantage over other teams, but yeah. Monaco is the slowest you know track on the calendar. So who knows how this might shake out. I'm, I'm going to say three uh, with uh, Canada being one of them. I'm going to go with two. I actually don't, you know, Toto Wolf came out and said he doesn't, have high expectations for Monaco, but that just could be kind of Mercedes level sandbagging that we've seen every week for the past, you know, every every February for the past decade. Uh, maybe they're just doing it in May now. Um, just because of the slow corner performance, there is still porpoising on the corners for them, um, but they seem to have have the pace. I mean, they were Lewis was just off of of Checo's fastest lap uh, last weekend in Spain. So I think they've, they've figured something out. I'm going to go with two, one for each driver is, is my guess. And there, there are fast tracks where Mercedes is still going to compete. And I think that over the course of the season, we already talked about the reliability issues, just some general weirdness. Once the sparks start flying between the top two drivers, uh, Max and, and Charles, like I just think weird stuff is going to happen. And Mercedes now has the car to capitalize on that. They didn't three races ago. They had the car that can, if things start getting a little haywire, they can win a race now. Drew, what do you think? I had four. I had uh, Can- I had Canada. I had Silverstone just because it's it's home turf and, yeah. and Lewis always I thought about Silverstone too. Uh, Hungary, just because Lewis, again, is like really, really good there. And, mm-hmm. uh, and Austin, just because it'll be at that point in the season where... Uh, the schedule starts to run out and points really start to matter. And, you know, something crazy could happen in that hairpin turn one. And, you know, Russell or uh, or Hamilton could shoot through there and uh, and lead the pack. And also, I want to say in Barcelona, wasn't his middle uh, his um, his middle stint like he was pumping out laps that were faster than the leaders at that yeah. point, I want to yes. say yes. Uh, that they remarked. Yeah. So like they definitely when you're talking about who. Who who will win the upgrades? Like I kind of feel like they they may have won already because they really unlocked something, and it's just too bad that uh, that Lewis and uh, and Kevin came to or that Lewis and Kevin came together uh, mid- midway there because like he <laughs> probably yeah he could have legit finished second or probably even won that race if they take advantage of uh, of Max's uh, spinning error. So yeah, I was just gonna say it's incredible that you mentioned that because both Lewis and George had a strong contact with other cars on that first lap. You know, George had a big coming together with Checo and Lewis did with Kevin, but only one yeah. of them resulted in a puncture. <laughs> so this, right. is, this is a, a game of inches or 
or or we're talking F one. And, and Lewis lifted and finished. Four, he was fourth, yeah. and he had to yeah. lift to finish fifth because they worried about him blowing the engine. This is a game of, of millimeters uh, and and pounds force. <laughs> you know, it's an incredible yeah. sport uh, defined in the margins. So I'm very much looking forward to the next few races. Who will finish fourth in the constructors' championship, Drew? Uh, to Bryson's point, uh, I, Botas is sort of like proving why he was why Mercedes picked him. Like Alpha was sort of a a nowhere backmarker, and then all of a sudden he comes to the team, and suddenly he's making the most of those uh, those Ferrari uh, the Ferrari the upgraded Ferrari package, and has that team. Uh, sort of right in that midfield uh, or that uh, I guess high midfield position where McLaren uh, was all most of last season. So I yeah. feel like he single-handedly could elevate them into into fourth with uh, with the way that he's been driving. Interesting. All right, so let's go through the, the standings real quick before we get Bryson's answer. Red Bull one ninety five, obviously first. Ferrari one sixty nine, second. Mercedes one twenty. And then McLaren is in fourth with 50 points. So we see where, where the gap is. Uh, and then Alpha is 39, <laughs> Alpine 34. And then there's another gap. Alpha Tauri has 17, Haas has 15. So really, barring some sort of miracle upgrade for an Alpha Tauri or a Haas, we're looking at McLaren versus Alpha versus Alpine. Bryson, who you got? It, it's so interesting that you mentioned these teams because each of them seems to have an inherently good car they can kind of win on or not win but uh make up their way up the grid in, in, in certain yeah. races and take advantage of opportunities but each of them has a, a lopsided driver pairing seemingly yep. McLaren Lando's <laughs> yeah. doing significantly better than Daniel at the moment Valtteri is significantly sort of outperforming Joe although he has had two mechanical retirements in, in concession which is uh difficult in succession rather um and and even if you look at Haas you know Haas has had a very strong car you know much stronger than anyone expected they might have. Although some of us kind of thought that they would have a good season this year, given how they committed themselves sure. to the new regulations. But even then, you know, Magnussen is scoring all their points. Uh, Schumacher yeah. has yet to score a point, I believe, uh, for Haas. And so he gets kind of so, a, close. so close, so close, so <laughs> close. Uh, and it's a it's a gamble. I, th- I think all of them could probably do it. Uh, but personally, I'm going to vote for Valtteri uh, because he was he was nice enough to sign a cap for me in Miami. And there so we I'm go. Gonna, I'm just going <laughs> to vote for him. I'm going to vote for him and 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 do well. But but honestly, you know, Valtteri's always been great. You know, he's loving life at the moment, loving that team, yeah. and being a, a true number one of the team. But also, he's always been amazing. You know, he's always been a great driver, yep. and I think he's just getting a chance to show it. And uh, yeah, he's he's my vote, and uh, Alfa Romeo is my vote for the, the rest. Great driver, super steady, maybe miscast in the, in the second Mercedes role. Like it, you know, we've talked yeah. about, he, George Russell is already playing better defense than than Botas <laughs> did ever. You know, like so. In order, in this sort of heat of the moment, we're trying to get somebody else a World Drivers Championship thing. Maybe maybe Valtteri wasn't the best for that I, role. I, I don't know. Valtteri, he, he certainly was a, a, a good driver for what he needed to do in that team. But I want to just be very clear sure. about what George Russell is. George Russell is actually not a number two driver. George Russell yes. is a number one driver in training. 
right? Yeah, if you if you yeah. imagine what was it the the original Men in Black movie, right? <laughs> Agent yeah. J and Agent K. That is exactly <laughs> the situation that we find ourselves mm-hmm. in with Mercedes. George is just lucky to have the opportunity to train under one of the greatest drivers of all time. So I actually view Mercedes as having one of the strongest pairings on the grid, if not the strongest. And the role that Valtteri played in the team and the role that George plays in the team is is fundamentally different. I just wanted to yep. highlight that a little bit. I agree. I agree. I mean, I will say, listen, when Bottas joins for Mercedes, he did have um, dreams of being a world champion. And, and, and I think that if things had broken, you know, like a Nico Rosberg, obviously, I, I think is a better driver than Bottas, but he won a world championship in that car. Um, we've seen maybe years where, where that, that could have happened if he were more up for it. Um, I think that George Russell, it's he benefits kind of like what you're what you just joked about with the men in black thing. He benefits from the age thing. He can wait out Lewis, he can finish behind him, he can beat him sometimes he might beat him this year. Um, I just think it's a different Mercedes needed a different type of driver post Botas, and I think that they found him. Um, all right. So I'm he's also go- benefited from some like ra- wonky sort of race situation yeah, of strategy calls that have kept him you know, very close, very close to the front. And in this, in a way that like Botas has sort of been, you know, having to, having to qualify like in those first two rows and then sort of make it happen in advance and, you know, not being able to, cause Max is such a shark, but yeah, just want to, yeah. He, Russell, Russell has had some incredible good fortune. This year. <laughs> he, he has, but give him, give him credit. He's been close enough for that different sex to make a difference. So yeah, for sure. Okay. I'm going with the dark horse here. I'm going with Alpine. So mm. you guys mentioned the, the lopsided driver pairings. I don't know what to expect from Daniel Ricardo for the rest of the year. Like, I do not know what to expect. Is this his last year in F1? Is he going to start putting his focus elsewhere? Other types of things he can do, whether that's different series, whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, there were some headlines this week that Zach Brown basically conceded that he's not met the expectations that they had set out for him. I think anybody who can even look at the Wikipedia page for the 2022 season can understand that that is correct, especially in comparison. I mean, Landon Norris had tonsillitis and had a big old towel strapped to his face before the race, and he still beat Daniel Ricciardo. So I think there's questions to be asked about what that looks like for the rest of the year. And then... I just think that the driver pairing of Ocon, who in all every race but one this year has scored points, and Fernando Alonso, who's had two retirements but had points in the last race, I think that's going to get better as the season goes along. I think Alpine pulls the upset and finishes fourth. I don't know. I mean, it's just it, the, the mid-pack thing always kind of comes down to luck and a couple of breaks here and there, but that's just, just the way I'm feeling right now. All right, number five. Will the budget cap be as problematic to the season as Christian Horner says? Now, I want to preface this by saying nothing is ever as problematic as Christian Horner says, <laughs> ever. So the, the answer in the macro sense is no. But in a micro sense, um, there's a lot to get to with the budget cap. Drew, what do you think happens this year with that? I thought it was hilarious that he spoke for a group uh, that did not want to be spoken for. Yes, and that, yes. Uh, Otmar immediately was like, we actually did the budgeting. We're fine. And maybe if you uh, also did the budgeting and didn't throw so much of it at development, you wouldn't be worried about like whether or not we'll be able yeah. to fake the grid. So I, I yeah. just find I, this all to be like totally uh, a, a, a Christian Horner sort of a star-making moment rather than an actual crisis. 
Uh, you're kidding. I started making moments out of a crisis. That's not like him. Okay, so here, here, here's, here's the flap, okay? If, you don't, if you're not following this, Christian Warner basically said because of inflation and a couple of other things that it's going to be really hard with the amount that freighting, what, freight costs went up, um, you know, just general inflationary costs, that the $140 million, which is the budget cap for this year, is unrealistic. And there's going to be teams, he said seven, who he's worried about uh, are, are not going to be able to finish races or, or compete in some weeks. However, as Drew alluded to, Alpha, Alpine, Haas, and Williams all voted against a proposal for an inflationary adjustment. Otmar said, as you alluded to, that we set our budgets early and anticipated the inflation. Um, Aston Martin's spokesperson said, uh, we do not see the need for a greater increase other than maybe a small inflationary, you know, whatever inflation is, just, just, just do it in line with that, but nothing beyond that. So I don't know how this, how this goes. I think part of this is probably Christian Warner politicking a little bit because you know how he knew how much he spent in the early part of the season. Grayson, what do you think? It's almost like sorry. It's almost like he's worried about somebody uh, questioning the legitimacy of a of a championship that he may win. <laughs> Gasp! <laughs> Gasp. Uh, the, it's pretty funny. Uh, logically speaking, there are only two possibilities, right? Either those statements are reflective of reality, or they're not reflective of reality. Right. If they're not reflective of, rea- of reality, then that's a a bluff, so to speak, in, in a way to get the budget cap to be extended just to get more performance out of the cars. And I'm not saying Christian specifically is doing this. He certainly was the most vocal link in the chain, but I'm sure other team principals probably agree with him. But the other possibility is that that really is reflective, that they really have burned through all of their development money. And if that's in fact the case, uh, that's their problem. (laughs) If if it's the case that other teams genuinely were able to meet the budget cap and still have their performance within within their window, you know, Ferrari had mentioned previously that they didn't understand how people were bringing updates so frequently. If that's the case, then you have to sort of bite the bullet and not assume that you're going to be had special modifications made to the rules to take your strategy and make it work better. I mean, we kind of saw this with the weight limit, you know, earlier in the season, we had yep. a weight limit of 795 kilograms. It was increased by three kilograms to account for sort of stiffening uh, stays at the rear of the floor. Um, you know, some teams designed their cars to be in the original 795 kilogram limit. And they are disadvantaged by the weight limit being increased. So it, it's a bit politics, a bit engineering, a bit science. It's, it's quite fun, but it's what makes stuff on the circuses, which is why I love it. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, 
view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Working the refs is is a yeah. skill that is needed by someone in your garage. Someone's got to have it. And then, as we've discussed many times, Red Bull has about five of them. <laughs> um, yeah. Okay, next next question. Give me one driver whose performance we should be talking more about this season, Bryson. Uh, it's it's not so much that we should be talking more about George Russell, but we should be changing the conversation about George mm. Russell. I think people have assumed that his performances relative to Lewis this season must be some indication of father time knocking on the door for Lewis, say your time has come and, and all of this. And no, it was always just a car. All you need is a competent teammate and you'll be beaten and all that. As I said before, George Russell is, was never really a number two driver. If you followed his career in F3 and F2, you know, he won convincingly. He dominated in fields that were stronger than some of his competitors that also won in their first year. He was always going to be the number one for, for Mercedes in the far future, but it's a situation now that we're actually getting a chance to see him in, in uh, competitive machinery. I think people should have understood what he really was after the Sakir Grand Prix in 2020, where he really al- almost outqualified Botas and certainly would have uh, beaten him in the race were it not for some very bizarre <laughs> uh, pit stop issues. But George is a real deal, and the conversation about him should not necessarily be about how he's beating Lewis, but just focusing on the great performance that he's doing. As was mentioned previously, there have been some incredibly lucky things that have gone his way. The contact with Perez and not resulting in a puncture is another perfect example of it. But once again, he's always been close enough for those differences to actually make a difference. Now, granted, we know Lewis is doing development work for the car, carrying several sensors. It's been well-documented, and also doing experimental setups to just figure out what the W13 actually is. That's what the leader of a team does. And I'm, I applaud him for yeah. doing that. But we're at a point now where we're learning more about the car. And you know these these races are going to start mattering more and more. I think we're going to get a true representation of that inter-team battle uh, in the coming races. Drew? It's Mick Schumacher for me. I just, you know, if, uh, if Bronny James hadn't had like a... Uh, uh, a 15 and 10 game in the NBA yeah. yet after year year two, I think we'd all be like time to send him down to the G league for some seasoning. I don't care whose <laughs> kid he is. So, uh, I mean, there, there have been some, some rumblings about, uh, a possible, uh, uh, seat loss here, but yeah, yes. it's, it's, he's, he's really coasting on legacy, uh, here in a, uh, in a way that, uh, I, as an American sports watcher, am just kind of shocked by. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I, 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 I actually agree. Um, I think that there's, I think Haas, and you see with Kevin Magnuson, and people have brought this up before, where 
you I, obviously I don't think Haas had some incredible car last year. I don't. But you immediately see Kevin Magnuson get in that car and start producing something. Yeah. And you think, okay, well, maybe Haas was a disaster last year, not because they're a disaster as a team, but because they took for granted the fact that Mazepin, who can't stay on the track, and Mick Schumacher, who's not a very good, not up to elite F1 standards, um, maybe those guys just just didn't have it. Bryson, what do you think about Haas there? No, I, you know, I, I agree that this question of last year's car uh, is almost a non-issue, right? Because Haas explicitly did not develop their car last year to compete. In fact, they barely right. made enough modifications to it to be legal in 2020. Yeah. They, oh, they I took remember. the 2020 car, you know, cut it in the appropriate dimensions and made it legal for 2021. They, they, they were running and, a, a Mazepin fantasy camp, basically. Yeah, and they yeah. ran it. And, yeah. and uh, I don't think anyone would argue that Nikita Mazepin is the strongest competitor to uh, have it gauge yourself against. So I, I'm willing to to look over the the his first season in Formula One. Um, but there's no question that Kevin Magnuson is, is a seasoned racer, not only in Formula One, but in other racing series as well. Uh, he is a good metric for how good someone is in an objective sense. You know, if if he didn't finish, what was it, you know, fifth in Bahrain, you know, maybe someone else finishes, you know, 12th or whatever it is, maybe we're not really seeing the praises of Haas in the situation and, and their engineering team and building a great car. We're saying, well, they've made some progress up the field, but, you know, not that great. They, they've been doing uh, tremendous work recently, and, and Kevin's a big part of that. Yeah, I've always said your car isn't really good until other teams start investigating it, <laughs> which right. some other things have with, with Haas. And so that proves to me that they really have made progress, and, and Kevin is just the, the great driver for them. I, I think Mick still does have some, some life in him. There's no question that he's you know a beneficiary of his legacy of his father, but there's nothing he can do about that. Right? He, he won Formula 2. I'm hoping he has an opportunity to sort of prove himself in the future. But yeah, the, yes. currently he's being beaten and uh, it would really take a, a turnaround for that to really, uh, you know, improve for the future. I agree. Um, I do think he deserves more time in F1. We have a, the next question is about who we would get rid of if we could get rid of one driver, but I want to put a pin in that. Um, I'm going to just shout out right now, Valtteri Botas, who A, has done a great job driving, but B, raised 50,000 euros this week by selling framed photos of the picture of him in a river with his butt out. Which is, <laughs> this is a guy who is just so, he put it on Instagram last week or two weeks ago, whenever it was. He goes into a river, I guess in Finland, and he's just totally naked. I guess that we, we know from Drive to Survive, that's his thing. But yes, can, that's, he does that. We have seen more of his butt than, I think, than shots I've seen of him like in a car this year. Like the broadcast barely shows him. I just With go his on helmet Instagram. off. Yeah, yeah I, see, I see him. I just see him. He's just constantly got his butt out. Um, so this is a guy, he's comfortable. He's loving life. He's getting podiums and bike races all across America. Um, he's living <laughs> his best life. Um, all right. If we, could, if we were in charge of every team for a day and we could fire a driver, who would it be? Drew, is yours Mick Schumacher or is it somebody else? It is not Mick Schumacher. It's uh, it's Nicholas Latifi. Yeah, poor he's guy. He's just kind of he's just kind of there. Seven career points, fifty or forty five starts, and then you know to be teammates to so many guys who have gone on to bigger and better things. It's like gotta. I if I were if I were uh, team principal there, I, I'd be rethinking that. I just think, and when Spencer Hall was on this show a couple of months ago, a couple of weeks ago. I said this, and I, I, the more I think about it, the more I, I believe it. If you're a billionaire kid, if you're 24, whatever you are, whatever Latifi is, I would just want to be the best team principal in the world. 
That's what I want to do. You're not up for it. Like even Lance Stroll, you, you know, you won races in FP in, in F2. Congratulations. You, you know, you, you, you performed really well, but I don't know, man, you're just not going to be as good as Lewis Hamilton. Just try to be as good as Toto Wolf and Christian Horner. Use the billions to outspend people. You're not going to be able to spend yourself into to being a, a world driver champion. Um, that's how I feel about that. Like if I, Latifi, I'm sure he feels amazing being out there at F1, but at some point, don't you just understand that that you're as you said you're just kind of a passenger? Bryson, who's yours? You know, I just want to preface my statements by saying that every single driver on the Formula One grid is the one percent of the one percent of the one percent. Yeah, would absolutely now, obliterate. Now, now, now that Mazepin, now that Mazepin is <laughs> yeah. off, yeah, yeah, now that Mazepin's out, yeah, yeah, they would absolutely obliterate any normal human. Uh, in a race car, and especially in a Formula One car, in terms of fitness and knowledge and working with our engineers, uh, but I agree, uh, it's Nicholas Satifi, and and the <laughs> challenge, but the challenge, of course, is, you know, th- there's two things going on here. Number one, there's a there's a disparity between Alex Albon and Nicholas Satifi that doesn't seem to make sense on paper, given that Alex is like brand new to the team and immediately starts outperforming him. That that's already one of the questions, kind of like, well, how's that even happening? But also we have to remember that really every Red Bull driver, second driver, you know, Albon, Gasly, even Daniel Kvyat to a certain extent had difficulty driving these, you know, high rake, short wheelbase monsters that Asia Nui has made for several years. They can be very uh, sensitive on the front end. And when they get to other cars, they actually tend to excel quite well, not because they're bad drivers. You know, there's a reason why they were in Red Bull to begin with, but because they benefit from a slightly more forgiving design, if, if that makes sense. And so there's two aspects of this. One is I do think Latifi is underperforming and he is my pick for who I would remove. But I also think Alex Albon is overperforming people's expectations. There was some feeling of how good he might actually be based on his uh, driving with Red Bull. Uh, I think Booms might be a better reflection of his actual talents. Yeah, I mean, my, my pick is, is Latifi as well. I mean, there's, there's certain, you know, I, I think at some point, I, I would not fire these guys, but I think at some point, Teams like Aston Martin, teams like McLaren need to start thinking about their second driver succession plan, but I certainly wouldn't just, I wouldn't fire them today. Latifi is the only guy where if I was in charge of Williams, I'd say, okay, we, we need to start giving, giving looks to other people. I'm sure there's financial penalties associated with that, um, probably tens of millions of dollars in that. But at some point, you've, you've got to understand that, that getting points, not finishing 10th in the constructor Championship, all that stuff can help you in the long run than just kind of being a, a, a pay driver fancy camp a little bit. Yeah, and uh, just very briefly, I was going to say, in a cost cap era, the, the money that yes. you bring in actually matters less than it would in other situations. And also, in that right. calculus, you have to subtract out the cost of crashes. It's yes. a bit of a challenge at the moment. Yes. I, if the cost cap rids us of pay drivers, then the cost cap is worth it. Um, but as we, and I don't want to make earlier, it seem like I'm picking on the guy who, uh, who complicated last year's championship, but he did complicate last year's championship. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. <laughs> All right. Uh, last question. So this is a, this is painting with a broad brush because there's the FIA is not the most popular thing in the world right now. The jewelry ban underwear, uh, new underwear rule that Sebastian Bettel made fun of it. It, uh, in Miami, there's there's just a lot there. Um, the post Michael Massey era has gotten off to a weird start. There's been a lack of communication. There's been maybe a draconian over enforcement of the rules. You know, we talked about the 
the, the spending cap earlier. I would also say that, you know, people have talked about this, particularly people who've been on the inside of it. Spending cap might be completely fake anyway, because you can just hide, Red Bull can, if they wanted to, can just hide some engineer and just say he's a marketing employee and just sort of, you know, start, listen, this is the entire history of F1 is, and this is in, I believe it's in the instruction to Adrian Newey's book. He says he doesn't look at what the rules say. He looks at what they don't say, right? And so the idea that these sort of captains of industry who understand how to bend to be habitual line steppers, uh, to use a football phrase, that they wouldn't figure out ways around the spending cap, that to me seems a little bit uh, misguided. But so there's just all sorts of stuff with the FIA. How do we fix the FIA, Bryson? The FIA is such a bizarre organization uh, it, it is it is in, in principle tasked with governing so many different motorsports, not just Formula One. It has to enforce, most importantly, the safety of events, but also the equity and fairness of the events, which has had a difficulty doing. Um, there's no question that the organization is not willing to subject itself to external review. In, in the sense yeah. of it is not allowing its own decisions to be reviewed by some sort of independent counsel. That's a problem for me. Um, if the FIA wants to be taken more seriously, and then again, it has the potential to do that, they have to start acting more seriously. This question of extreme focus on certain aspects of regulations that haven't been enforced for several years, you know, wearing studs in your ear and things like this, uh, even though some drivers were wearing it anyway in, in W Series, which we won't talk about. Um, I'm more concerned with barrier design in Miami. You know, several drivers mentioned key question yes. of safety at turn 14. And then instead of the response being, we'll take a look at it, I'll see. The answer was more along the lines of, we've done simulations and it's fine. So don't worry about the pain in your neck. That's not real. <laughs> what is real is my <laughs> simulation. Um, I think that's just a fundamentally wrong attitude. Uh, lives are, are on the line. And if F1 drivers say something might need to be changed, I tend to believe them. They're pretty strong guys and pretty fearless in most situations. I, I think if something is wrong, uh, I would take uh, I would take their advice. I would take their counsel. But yeah, I, the FIA is, has not really represented itself in a way that is acceptable to many fans, not just in what happened in Abu Dhabi and the week afterwards, but in its behavior since then. I feel like there's the potential for it to improve, but the question is, does it want to? Does it want to is a, is a great way to put it. Drew, what are your thoughts? I think many things. I think that uh, Bryson's right. Their, their plate's a little too full. And maybe if they either sort of broke off the sort of, I don't want to say the less important series, but sort of prior or had or broke off Formula One and prioritized the governance of Formula One as its own, as its own thing. Um, and, you know, that it would be, it would, it would work more efficiently. Uh, but now they're sort of in this, you know, it's a very sort of like uh, EU Brussels-y kind of uh, place where yes. it's just like the multiple levels of bureaucracy, including, uh, you know, uh, the two race directors, which I think is an automatic like command Z thing. Like there should be one person <laughs> that we go to with our, yep. uh, with our complaints and our comments. I, I don't need... The two people just sort of complicates uh, that that uh, streamlined communication, and then also like I just feel like to uh, to Bryce's point about barriers, like uh, you, driver uh, Alonso was leading the the chorus of drivers who was who were complaining about yes. that, and uh, uh, right rightly so. And I feel like there needs to be uh, a greater voice 
respect for uh, players within that body and whether that's uh, some sort of players council or a player rep, a, a D. Maury Smith type who is able yeah. to to uh, go to bat for them so that they can just worry about like the hundred million other things that they have to do in addition to driving the car. Like that would be great. Yeah. And just one, one small point I would just like to say about the organization of the FIA and its relationship to Formula One. The FIA personally is not always overseen Formula One. You know, we could go back yep. and talk about the FISA FOCA war and and all the details with that and and Jean Balestri, you know, and all, all right. these fun things. And historically, there is scope for changes in organizational structure that may include not the, the FIA itself governing F1. We don't know what the future holds, but many things are possible. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I agree there needs to be more. I mean, Fernando Alonso was correct and he was not happy with the way the FIA responded to him. Um, and I think that there are, you know, I, I think that the way that they've approached things the first couple months of the season, not listening to the drivers who are the ones who are on the ground, who understand the track better than anybody. And listen, I don't think that the drivers hating a turn for competitive reasons, a corner, for competitive reasons, is a disaster, right? If they hate the the quote-unquote mistake generator in Miami, I don't think you necessarily need to change it. When you're talking about barriers, when you're talking about safety stuff, yes, you need to change it. And, and so that's that's my, my hope for improved communication. I thought the leak that Michael Massey could even return to F1 in decision-making capacity was offensive to everybody. You know, I thought, I, you know, maybe it was maybe it was Lawrence Edmondson, some, someone else on one of the pods this week. We were just talking about how they think that they're trying to establish there's a new sheriff in town, quite frankly, and that's why they're trying to enforce these rules. You're going to lose this war. And, and Lewis, I mean, Lewis said it in Miami. If they, if they want to they ban jewelry, Nick DeVries can have a go, and he'll, he'll go to <laughs> one of the nice little bars right there. He'll go to, what's it called, Pearls right there on the, uh, right, right there on the, the, the marina in Monaco. He can have a nice little day. Um, and so <laughs> I don't think that, I think you have enough guys. Sebastian Vettel, Man, he does not give a shit right now. He he'll skip something. You know, Lewis <laughs> Hamilton is is ready to make a stand. So I think that the FIA is positioning themselves. Alonso has skipped for, before. Like it's yeah. possible. <laughs> I don't. I, I think FIA is positioning itself for a fight they're going to lose eventually. Yeah, this is such a bizarre situation. It's always been couched in the terms of of Lewis Hamilton or its fans or someone else is sort of dying on a hill of this jewelry question. But it, I think it's actually the reverse of that. I think it's actually the FIA who is interested in dying on a hill. But just just, yeah. just to circle back to your question about Michael Massey, the biggest problem I have with what happened in Abu Dhabi is actually not about fairness of the race. It's actually about safety. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a record of events that happened in that race where say, you know, crash happens, a safety car comes out, you know, track is clear, safety car comes in and things. The problem is those messages were in a wrong order of events. The safety car came in before the track was declared clear. Uh, that's not a safe thing for track marshals and, and even fans potentially. Michael Massey, in my mind, failed in his most fundamental duty, which is ensuring safety of the event. And for that reason alone, that would disqualify him from future work, in my opinion. I agree. And then just to your, to your point about the safety thing, I just wanted to say, like, what what is the argument for the FIA not listening to to, to drivers about safety? Like, what? It, like, I don't know how they defend that. Like, if a guy says put a barrier there, like, what does it cost you in addition to all the other cost overruns here just to do it? 
I, it's it's insane. It, it, honestly, some of the responses have just been completely head scratching. All right, before we get you guys out of here, let's get a Monaco pick, Bryson. Uh, I'm feeling optimistic. I'm going to say Lewis wins, uh, mostly because whenever someone asks me for a prediction, I say Lewis wins. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but I actually, as I said before, you know, I I think as much as we would love sort of a, a karmic victory for Lewis to finally be in a position to sort of get into into a, a race winning car again and win some races. That doesn't really happen in motorsport. You have to have the car to win. And I think Mercedes is getting closer than they've ever been uh, as far as producing that. So they definitely took a step forward in Spain. We'll see if it can translate uh, into Monaco. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bet Lewis, even though he does not traditionally do very well in Monaco. But, hey, you know, stranger things have happened. True. I'm going to go Charles. I think he has... Yeah had just about all the bad luck you can have at one track uh, inside of competition and out. And uh, I feel like, yeah, he was strong there last year and not as not as great a car. And then he wrecked that car. But this time I think he survives. Uh, he survives qualifying and stays up front. I'm with you. This has been an amazing episode. Thank you guys for joining us. Bryson and Drew, we will see you guys later. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for production help. This has been the Ringer F1 show on the Ringer Podcast Network.